Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Italian American Podcast. The first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about and celebrate their brilliant heritage. We're your hosts, Anthony Fasano and Dolores Alfieri Taranto. We're first generation and third generation Italian Americans from the same small village outside of New York City. As writers and speakers, we've both spent years exploring Italian American identity. And through this podcast, we continue this exploration with you. In each episode, we talk to dynamic Italian Americans. From athletes to authors to entrepreneurs to find out how their heritage has influenced their success, their values, and their outlook on life. We do it with a lot of heart, a lot of smarts, and a lot of laughs. <laughs> As the saying goes, there are two types of people, those who are Italian and those who wish they were Italian. Whatever camp you're in, grab an espresso and get your hand gestures ready <laughs> for this episode of the Italian American Podcast. This is episode 76, where we'll be speaking with stand-up comedian Mike Becchione, who has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon on Comedy Central and more. What's up, Dolores? Hey, Anthony. How's it going? Good. How are you? <laughs> Can't complain. We have a funny episode coming up, a lot of laughs, and it also gets serious. The usual Italian-American flair of being real and being joyful. I would actually say for a comedian, the episode's more serious than you would think. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we got into some deep stuff with Mike, which was good. For sure, was, for sure. It was it was nice that he kind of really opened up and we had a good conversation with him. So before we jump into the episode, we do just want to welcome our new listeners. We are grateful that with every show, more listeners come on board. And we'd like you to know that there are some 75 other episodes, if you go to our website, italianamericanexperience.com, that you can listen to. And they're all terrific, if I may say so. <laughs> we also remind people that while you can go to the website and listen to episodes, if you subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, you'll actually get notifications when the show comes on every time we publish an episode. And you can do that pretty easily by either going on your phone on iTunes and searching for it or going to the website, italianamericanexperience.com. And on the right side of the website, just click subscribe in iTunes. And we also are just going to mention our private Facebook group, The New Neighborhood, a place for Italian Americans. You can learn more about The New Neighborhood at italianneighborhood.com. But it is a great place with a lot of terrific and passionate Italian Americans. And I'll tell you, it's just so active and there's so much going on that sometimes I get a little bit behind and I, you know, I'm not in the neighborhood for several days and it takes me a little bit to catch up on all the reading and I absolutely love it. Yeah, there's some really amazing posts in there. And really what it is, is it's just Italian Americans that are passionate about their culture, sharing ideas, thoughts, recipes, memories, pretty much everything. And it's just, they've become really close to one another, which we kind of didn't, we weren't, wasn't expected in the beginning. We didn't know what to expect. We just started it. And there is a fee for being a member of the new neighborhood. And the reason that we charge a fee is because number one, there's fees associated with this podcast, which 
is something that a lot of people don't know. Just because the podcast is free doesn't mean that it's free for us to produce it. So the new the new neighborhood fees really help us with that. And secondly, because quite frankly, there's a lot of Italian American type groups on Facebook that have thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, and things just get posted there and like you know yeah it gets out of control it gets out of control and i've had people you know when people ask us like why we charge in addition to the podcast supporting the podcast which people love to do it's it's an intimate group i mean this is you know 100 maybe 200 it'll get up to in the near future but nowhere near the thousands and thousands of some of these other groups that just have so much noise in them that you can't really build relationships with the other members Exactly. Like we have one, we have one member who is just really good at doing traditional things with his children. And he's always posting pictures like, you know, made limoncello today, right? You know, made, made pasta with the kids today. And, you know, it's a kind of an ongoing joke now in the neighborhood that we're all so impressed. Like we're so envious of how on top of things he is, right? Yeah. And I think things like that, those what inspires other people then to do those things. And that's kind of the whole, one of the reasons that we created the group was because it's great for people to listen to the podcast and take action, but it's even easier to take action when you see other people doing it and you're able to go back to someone and say, Hey, check it out. You know, I made bacala, check it out. And everyone's like, Holy cow. How'd you make that? My, you know, my grandma used to make that. What's the recipe? And people share it. And that's, Really, really the beauty of it. There was a Stelladoro run for oh, a while gosh, yeah. after the last power hour. <laughs> a lot of pictures of Stelladoro cookies. A lot of pictures of Stelladoros, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, you could check it out at italianneighborhood.com. Again, that's italianneighborhood.com. Join the new neighborhood. It's a great group. It's a vibrant group, very active, and you'll make some new friends that you can not only connect with online, but I'm sure you'll find people locally to you, maybe in the new neighborhood that you can connect with as well. All right, Dolores, you want to tell us a little bit more about our guest before we jump in here? I sure do. But before that, I just want to first quickly mention that at the very end of the episode, we decided to give you a glimpse of what actually happens here behind the scenes while recording the Italian American podcast. All right. Mike Vicione was born in Youngstown, Ohio, and graduated high school in Boca Raton, Florida. He's appeared on Comedy Central's Live at Gotham, Fresh Face Debates, and Russell Simmons Presents Stand Up at the El Rey Theater. In 2010, Mike won the People's Choice Award for the New York Comedy Festival, was a semifinalist on NBC's Last Comic Standing, and was elected to perform at the prestigious Montreal Comedy Festival New Faces. Later that year, Mike went on to perform on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and shot his own half-hour special for Comedy Central. In 2014, he appeared on Comedy Underground with Dave Attell on Comedy Central and was again a semifinalist on NBC's Last Comic Standing. He also released his first comedy album, Muscle Confusion. In addition, he's appeared on Conan on TBS and Inside Amy Schumer. In 2018, Mike appeared on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon for a second time did Montreal's Just for Laughs for a third time, and released his second comedy album, The Worst Kind of Thoughtful. Yeah, he was great. And he gives a really great story about his appearance on Jay Leno that you're going to absolutely love. Yeah, that was a good story. Yeah, really tied back to his family. 
All right, to bring us into the interview with Mike, I do want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mediaset Italia. Catch your favorite Italian shows on DirecTV, including all the newest drama, variety, news, and entertainment from Mediaset Italia. Now you can get Mediaset Italia and four more Italian channels, including Rai Italia with Italian Direct Package from DirecTV and enjoy all things Italia. Get Mediaset Italia a la carte for $10 per month plus taxes or Italian direct package for $20 per month plus taxes. Call 877-778-4794 today. That's 877-778-4794. World direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package, hardware available separately at an additional cost. New customer offers require equipment, lease, and credit approval. Other conditions apply. Call 877-778-4794 or visit att.com for full details. All right, now we're excited to welcome Mike Becchione to the Italian American Podcast. Mike is a New York City-based stand-up comedian who has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon Comedy Central, and more. Mike, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. We're excited to speak with you. Anthony, have we have we had a comedian on the show before? No, I think this is the first one. Oh, boy. Mike, is it? <laughs> oh, wow. So Anthony likes to tease me, and, and the listeners like to comment on my laugh, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> how to put you on the spot. <laughs> I'm like the Christopher Columbus of comics. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the first joke. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> so we like to start by asking all our guests to tell us a little bit about their Italian-American upbringing. I was born in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, which is a steel town. It was a steel town, anyway. And I love people who are like, there's Italians in Ohio, from New York, or like, there's Italians in Ohio. And then I, I always say this line, which is a great line, because I get real defensive, and I go, yeah, who do you think built this country? That's right. <laughs> A lot of Italians in Ohio. I actually have relatives there. So, I mean, it's Steel Town, so that's right. Italians there. Actually, Youngstown's a huge Italian population. Actually, it was really a big mob town back in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, even up to the 90s. I remember their activity going on there then. So oh, that I didn't know. It's a lot. A lot of Italian. Anywhere where there's unions or anything like that, there's going to be organized crime activity. I was born there in the suburbs there. In 1981, we moved to Buckley Town, Florida, and then back to Ohio, and then back to Florida, and then back to... Oh, wow. We moved back and forth because of my parents uh, and my grandparents had a family business, and then my father and grandfather didn't see eye to eye. So I'm Italian on both sides, my father and mother. Yeah, that's how I, that's how I grew up. We moved back and forth, you know, family, family problems a little bit, some strife with the business, but my immediate family was very tight. Catholic, obviously. Some people grow up half, and I, but I grew, I got it from both sides. Which I don't know how. I think you need. I think, uh, especially with the with our ethnicity, it's very. It's almost like I don't know if you guys are half or. or it almost needs to be. It's so intense and strong. It kind of needs to be cut with something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're both full, and almost, I. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really helps. <laughs> and I'm first generation, so it's it's really not even diluted in me. So you know. <laughs> Oh, wow. Dialing it back, the struggle's really real. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I'm third generation, but I mean, in our house, like, 
you don't realize how you're raised until you like go to college and you start seeing how other people so were true. brought up. And I'm like, I was like, oh, my, my, my parents were very, they always preach this narrative. Like we're very, we're very forward thinking and relative to their parents, they were very right. forward thinking. But I got out in the world, I'm like, oh my God, I, I grew <laughs> up in a very like, yeah. put the hammer down type, uh, invi- especially compared to today's kids. The way today's kids are raised, I'm like, holy smoke, we were raised very no-nonsense uh, oh, approach. Oh, totally know? different in the way we had to have kind of respect and deference for authority, like teachers, parents, right. cops, everyone, you know, it seems like a... Right. Not really a thing anymore. Well, as a comic, I got to say, the one thing I can't get used to, it, it's tough for me to do podcasts and all, all kinds of other things. Because my, my other friends in this industry, especially my Jewish friends, they're always questioning and always encouraged to ask questions. And that's one thing, one kind of thing that I was raised with a lot of good qualities, but that wasn't one of them. Like, like what you said, you were told to just do what you're told. Yeah. You right. do what you're told. You don't question you know, your parents, your teachers, your coaches, you if you believe in them and you trust them and you love them, you do what you're told and you don't question authority. Absolutely. So in our dialect, EY is problems, right? So growing up, my mother right. just had this great creative one-liner. I would say to her, can I go to my friend's house? And she would say, no. And I would say, well, why? And she would say, which means you have the problem, not me. She would take the word why and like, you know, the English word why and use the dialect word why and basically tell me, you know, I'm not answering you. Yeah. So exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's what I love about my parents and that and like that generation. It's like today I I can't even wrap my head around parents walk on eggshells around their own kids. Yeah. And it's like it was the complete opposite when I was growing up. You really had to gauge your parents to see what kind of mood they were oh my in, gosh, and then you you had to adjust. Like, right. like they put the problem back on you. Yeah, like, you got a problem at school. It's like you better figure it out, dude. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was like the teachers were always right, and the principal was right, and that was it. Right, because if if they called my parents, you did something. Even if they were wrong, they put it back on you. It's like I never remember my, especially in high school, my parents. Being the, I mean, they were involved because they came to sporting events and all that stuff. But with the teachers, these inter like they were like, nah, nah you got a you got a problem. You you better deal with it. That's right. And don't make it yeah. so I ever have to come here and talk to them again because <laughs> I got to go to work. Right. Yeah. Th- there <laughs> right. was a there was a kid in my school. I went to Catholic elementary school and we had some event in the gym. And I know something happened. And I just remember that this kid stood up and he gave the nun the finger and he walked Whoa. out of the auditorium. And I'm thinking wow. to myself, oh. My, like I'm thinking to myself, like if that was me, I'm dead. Oh, you're I'm not even coming to school today. Right, right. I'm dead. Yeah. I'm literally dead. Right. I just remember that. I just always remember that. Like, oh, holy crap! That's ballsy. Do you know what happened to him? Uh, he got suspended for multiple days or weeks or whatever right. it was. But I just, I just pictured myself and him for a second, and right. I had like the fear of fear of God put in. You were just me. sweating, just looking at him. Like- oh gosh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that, you see, you see people pull, pull crazy stuff like that and be like, "Wow, that's just—I mean, that's a different world." It yeah. is, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, Mike, where do you know the regions in Italy that your—I guess it'd be your grandparents came from? Yeah, I thought it was uh, the Naples area, but my uh, on my mother's side, my uncle, her brother, just went back, just went to Italy, and went to the town where my grandfather's from because my grandfather came over here when he was eighteen. It—I can't remember the—I I, should have. 
probably got the name, I texted him and got the name, but it, it's west of Rome, but, oh. but north of Naples. It's a small, small town, but he went to visit and he stayed with some relatives that we didn't even know we still had there, but it's such a small town. Wow. And I didn't realize this. My uncle was explaining, there's only like five families. There's five or six names. Wow. There's a lot of these same names. And my mother was a Graziano. They found pictures of my grandfather, old oh, pictures wow. in the town. Wow. It was really, really, he was showing it to us when we went to visit this summer and it was really, very, very touching. Oh, I'm sure. Probably he was over the moon. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was really unbelievable. So my mother was from that town. It was a very small town. My father's people, I was always told Campo Basso, okay. which is, I guess, outside of Naples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of that before, yeah. So have you ever been to Italy? When I graduated college, I went with my sister, me and my sister, my, my parents and my sister and myself over on like a structured tour. It right. wasn't like what my uncle did with Stay With Family. And we went to, all through the north. We didn't really uh, go to the south. We Sorrento we went to, but at that time, it was the mid-90s. They said that Naples and Sicily was too dangerous for yeah, tour groups to yeah. go through. So That's crazy. So, uh, I would have liked to have gone to Naples and Sicily, yeah. But you don't think about it anymore. I, I, I mean, I always knew it existed, that divide between the north and the south. But when you go there, you really see it. The north is like more of like industrial Europe, kind of like a Swiss uh, element to it, you know. But the south is very like country and and the people there are very very friendly and nice yeah this is like a can of worms topic for me so <laughs> right aunt oh no i'm from the south i'm from uh, my family's from campania and like the provincia di avellino so we're we're small towns below naples well, okay i do think though that if you're going to go to italy for the first time doing some of these tourist type of cities and tours isn't, isn't a bad way to go because if you go right to Southern Italy, I think you're in for a bit right. of a, a rude awakening. I mean, the typical Italian American growing up, not like you, Dolores, because you had obviously first generation. So you knew your parents' experience much more closely. But I think for a lot of Italian Americans, we've talked about this before, when you say Italy, they think of like Florence and right. Venice and these kinds of cities. So if you think that your whole life and then you go to visit, you know, grandparents came from, you're going to be like, what the hell is this? Like, this is not what I expected. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that there's some value in checking out some of those places that, you know, but then there is value, like Mike said, where his uncle went back and actually found out where they're from and going there and visiting it. And because really the typical answer for most Italian Americans is, oh, I think we're from like Naples. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that, that's what everyone yeah. says because that's the, right. but I, so I think to drill down on that a little bit more is great. And the fact that, you know, Mike, your uncle did that is great. Cause now they have a lot more kind of insight into the family and well, where important. they're from and stuff. But that's like the great lie, right? That like the North belongs to you as a Southern Italian immigrant. Kind of what you just said, like in the 90s, you know, so what what you were being told was basically go to Florence, go to Milan, places that are really are not where your family came from and are connected to. And the, and the right. places that you your roots are from are too dangerous for you to even reconnect with. Right. Well, people don't understand the like history that Italy wasn't unified until I mean, I at least know it wasn't unified until 1861. And these regions were, from what I understand from reading history, were very separate, you know? Yep. So, yeah. 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 But, I mean, the cities were beautiful and Rome, the Vatican, all that was very touching to, to see. I'm a big religious art guy, you know? I really think religious art is very, very touching. So seeing that was like, it was, uh, it, it blew my mind. 
Oh, yeah, wow. Then you'll good, love the South in Sicily, right? I mean, the churches yeah. and all that. Yeah. You'll have to make a trip sometime. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. let's get into your career a little bit. How'd you, how'd you find comedy? How'd you get to comedy? We had, I mean, I'm third generation. My parents are second. I'm 45 years old. I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 45. So when I was growing up, it was always preached. Education was preached to me very, very hard. Going to college wasn't an option. And my parents came from very like doctor, lawyer equals success. So you either got to be a doctor or you got to be a lawyer. Like none of this web, internet, entrepreneurial, (laughs) online stuff existed then. So it was very much like doctor or lawyer. Like, what do you want to do? But you have to be successful. So, and you have to go to college. They pushed for that. And I did not do either. I, I was getting pushed towards law school, but I went to a program and I realized I'm not very good at thinking this way. You don't really know a job, too, until you're really in it or immersed in it somehow. And I think that that would have been a huge mistake in my life to go that direction. I think I would have been a very low-level lawyer, and I would have been a, under a ton of debt. And I think it would have been too late for me to, like, I would have already happened before I realized it was a mistake. And I think that happens with a lot of people. I went to Penn State University. I got out with a bachelor's degree. By the way, I wrestled in high school, and I placed in the state tournament from my state and uh, I went to Penn state. I had to cut weight. And this is a very funny thing. Uh, Being Italian American and having to cut weight for a sport is hilarious because (laughs) it's like, there's always food around. There's people like overeating constantly. I have two older brothers who were wrestlers, like pretty much all through high school and pretty competitive at it. I actually know all about it. And my father did not care. Like my old school Italian father did not care that they were cutting weight. He used to make them sit at the table with us during dinner. Like we're a family. You're going to sit with us. I mean, Thanksgiving, Christmas, my poor brother sat there just like smelling all this food and seeing all this food and like didn't eat it. And my dad just didn't care. That's crazy. Yep. (laughs) I don't know what that is in our culture, but there's a lot of pressure around food in being at the table, like, and it's kind of a good thing because today it's not emphasized at all, but we used to have to always have dinner together. And if you, if, if you, you had a job or something was the only way or some kind of a practice, you weren't missing dinner to be at a friend's house or anything like that. And my parents would get furious if people would call during dinner, Mm. you know? And so it was like, and my mother would make the food and we'd sit down, we'd pray. And then we'd eat at like a hundred miles an hour. (laughs) I don't really know what that is. I don't really know what that is, but uh, it, it seemed like there was a lot of pressure around food growing up. We, but we were just overeaters, basically, pressure eaters type, type situation. Anyway, for, for the wrestling thing, my mother did very well in terms of watching me cut because it really, I, I could see it broke her heart when I had to really cut hard. But she was a soldier about it and just was like, no, we do what you got to do. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, Mike just pretty much summed up my childhood in five minutes. Because like, <laughs> I have two brothers. So I always eat so fast now. People are like, why do you eat so fast? I'm like, probably because when I was a kid, if I didn't eat that fast, the food would have been gone because my two brothers would have right. ate everything. But, you know, we never had the wrestling issue. So, yeah, I can see how that must have been tough for your mom. But it's great that she was able to kind of support you through that in that way. You were telling us how you led to this career. So I started working with kids with adjudicated kids, kids with because I had a criminal justice degree because I thought I was going to go to law school. So I started working with kids with with problems who've been adjudicated, a counselor, and uh, in Philadelphia because I moved to Philadelphia after I was at Penn State, and I did that for a few years. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I should probably 
look into going back at night and getting it you know, teaching degree, getting a certification, you know, I could be a teacher and then take it from there, you know? So I went back at night and got my master's in special education. And then, um, I taught for five years in the public system, the public school system while still going back and working in the residential schools during the summer, teaching my own program. And then I taught for five years. And then I started to stand up comedy at the end of my master's degree just going to open mics once a week. And I decided that I got better at it and I liked it. So at the age of 31, I picked up everything I had and moved to New York. And uh, I've been here ever since. I'm 45. It's been about 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Were you like always funny growing up? Is that how you came to No, I was very serious. I was very very serious and very focused. I mean, we, we all laughed at the table and my father had like kind of an inappropriate. You always have one parent. I found this in any family, in any marriage, really. like you, you always have one parent who's the stable, anchor kind of parent. And then you have another parent who's kind of like off the wall and kind of <laughs> unstable and unbalanced. <laughs> My joke is, and it's really true, it's like those are the marriages that work. It's like you have one mm. person who's boring and one person who's batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my mom was pretty crazy in her own way, but I would say she was very uh, quiet. Like, she's very quiet compared to my father. My father was really the loud one and boisterous and silly. And we actually, we didn't realize how quiet she actually was until he passed away. And then we'd be sitting eating and we're like, it took us like a few years to realize what was going on. And then we realized, my gosh, he was always making the noise for both of them. So we never noticed how quiet she was, right? Just cooking and feeding us and stuff. It's pretty funny. I mean, that's the same. With my, my, my father passed away in 2015, mm. and he was such a huge presence yeah. that when I go back to visit my mother now, and I try to go back every three months to visit her, it's really like a very, very different energy in the house now. I and completely you, I, I understand that. Realized he was such a big presence, but I mean, that's really the thing. Yeah. Yep. You like almost took up room for both of them. <laughs> My dad was like, uh, uh, and and other people, I don't know, even some Italians are like, my father was very all over. Like, he was very emotional. So it's like he would love you one minute and then he would criticize you the next minute. He was very uh, quick to tears. My father cried in front of me. He would tell me he loved me every night. He would kiss me. Like it was just very, he was very emotional. I know there's like this, always this image of maybe like a stoic, you know, like a godfather type, you know, man in the Italian culture, but I know so many Italian men who are like, they're such, they're so soft. And like, my dad used to watch like videos of like our communions at night and just cry. (laughs) No, but it's really a model for, for us, for uh, like guys like Anthony and me, like it's a model for how to be a man really. So I I didn't perceive my father as weak at all. He was just, he, I, I perceive that as strength because he was very free with his emotions, even more so than I am. Like he's very free with his emotions, and there, there was nothing, there was nothing unmasculine about that. That's a great way to put it because I would never say that my father wasn't masculine or tough. It was almost like out in the world he was very tough and very strong, and in the home when he needed to be. But he also kind of knew that, like, with our family, he didn't always need to be. So, you ha- you know, he, had, he was very loving and soft and warm. And that that's true. It, that's a great way to put it. It's a great model. I like that. I mean, now in my, in my life, when I deal with, like, I realize that that's, that's my model for a man. So a friend of mine was like, I, I was saying I love you as I got into his car. 
And he's like, who are you talk to? I'm like, I'm talking to my father. He's like, oh my God, I would never oh, say I love yeah. you my father. I'm like, I mean, that's crazy to me. Yeah. It's really crazy to me. I mean, life is too short for that. You know? Absolutely. You gotta, like, you, you yeah. gotta drop it and really, you know, because we're going to be gone. We're not going to have, we have a very set amount of time on this planet together. So you got to tell people how you feel, you know? You know, I got to mm-hmm. say this really quickly, just on the heels of that. I just cleaned out the attic and, and I, you know, I'd moved recently, blah, blah, blah. So I unpacked a bunch of boxes and I found a framed piece of paper. So I must have framed it a while ago. And it's a piece of paper that my father had written, Buongiorno, Doloresa, ti voglio bene. So good morning, Dolores, I love you. I, I forgot I had that. And he must have been, I mean, it must have been from like high school. He probably was leaving me like lunch money on the table and like wrote me a, a, a sweet note. And I, you know, I've always been really sentimental. So I saved it. And just to people listening out there, you have no idea how much it means to me to have that right now with him gone That's 10 beautiful. years, you know, and yeah. it does, it matters that, you know, you should say those things to people and, and be vulnerable like that and open yourself up. And, and I know like I can hang that up now and read it every day and remember, you know, that he, that he did do things like that for me. And that was his love for me. We just got, we just got really deep. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar thing where it's like my mother and father were giving me, or taking me to the airport and I took the phone and I videoed, I, from the back, we have a van and from the back, I put the, put the phone in front of both of us. And I did like a small interview with my father, oh, a small interview with my mother that's before great. they took me. And I still have that with my father and I showed it to my family, and everybody wants a copy of it. That's it was very great. A couple of minutes long, just ask him. Yep. He made me cocktails and, and food, and, and we got along. We, you know, we, yeah. we had our troubles in our relationship, and we really were getting along at the end. You know, it was just him telling me he loved me, and I, I keep it on my phone. And I love I, it. I, he, they would leave me voicemails also, and I kept them on my phone, my, my mother and father's voicemails that they would leave me in. And every once in a while, it'll come up in my, when I'm listening to music, it'll come up in my rotation, like his voicemail, telling me he loves me, telling me to call him back. Oh my gosh. It's just a very touching thing. Yeah, Yeah, that really is. That's beautiful. Uh, I I like to tell these stories because I just hope that people who are lucky enough to still have both their parents really take it take it to heart, you know, and we're always encouraging people to kind of talk to their family about their family stories before it's too late. We get so many letters from listeners who say things like, you know, I wish I wish I would have asked my father more about where he was from and his past, et cetera. So it's true. You never know. I think it's important. Like my father, his health deteriorated. So we knew he was dying. I mean, we always kind of had this in our family where it's like, make sure you never, never leave anything unsaid. Like when you go to sleep at night, kiss everybody. You tell them you don't know if you're going to wake up the next day. And I know people say that all the time, but it's like never leave anything unsaid. My father said that. Many times he's like, hey, if I go tomorrow, like, you know, everything there is to know. I was straight up with you as much as I could be. I was as emotional as I could be. Like, I let the, I didn't hold anything back, right or wrong. And sometimes that's because you see some ugliness, too. So it's like, of course, sometimes it's not always sunshine. But he's like, there's nothing I'm holding back to tell you on my deathbed. I love that. I Do you that's think that's great. an Italian yeah. trait? Because my family was really like that, too. And we still are. Like, I can pick up the phone and be like, I got to tell you something. Like, call my sister and be like, you know, X, Y, and Z happened. And I'm going to say, that really pissed me off or whatever it is. And and she'll be like, okay. And, you know, we could just vent it. And then, like, we're fine. Well, can I say something about that? Yeah. There's pro- there was problems in my family, too. We had, I had big problems with my, with my father because he wouldn't stay in his lane. Mm. He would just jump into my business and he would, he would jump in a lot of times. 
and try to like take a, at least I felt like try to take a piece of me and get involved in things that he shouldn't have been involved in. So we had disagreements. That's the bad side of it. Like we had disagreements right. that way. And, and sometimes like we didn't, you know, really hurt me, but we didn't talk for like eight months, eight or nine months. Cause I'm like, you know, we, we can't continue to function this way. Mm. And his thing was, well, this is the way my father was with me. And this is the way I'm the father. You respect me. I'm like, Hey man, this is a two, respect is a two way street. And he had a hard time coming to terms with that. That's intense. I wish I could say the relationship was all uh, sunshine and love, but but we we had tough times too because I think a lot of times in our culture, at least in my situation, he couldn't see boundaries. He he refused to acknowledge the boundaries. It's like yeah. you're my son, you respect me, and it's like, hey man, I'm a, I'm a person over here too. So right. well, this is what was done to me. This is my father, right. and he came from a very broken place but there's those kind of problems too where, where it's like hey man you need to respect the two-way street and they don't like to hear that you know that generation yeah because we're such a tribal community you know at heart and so it is kind of tough especially when you grow up in america and you're like you're know, really trying to balance i know that's a big part of my childhood is like balancing the independence with being part of this huge family and the responsibilities that it asks you to have and the sacrifices it asks you to make versus what you want to do. So that's that's a tough one. And you can't be as like independent and dismissive as like your American friends because it's just not the world you're living in. Not the same. I'm going to say it's kind of what we talk about a lot on the show too, which is the transition from Italian to Italian-American and the differences between it, right? Like our Italian – ancestors came over and they had, you know, they did live in these groups and these tight knit communities and they did do all the stuff together and there was a specific way to do things. And then as the generations move on and you become Italian American and, pr and now more American than Italian, there's struggles between the generations, which is basically a lot of what Mike, I think just described to us here. Really? Exactly. It changes. I think it's important to be concise with language. Like we all get heated, especially us especially our culture, it's like you get heated and you lash out. But I think it's important to, to call the person back or to revisit the person and, and clarify what you were saying. Because it's a, there's a lot of uh, heat of the moment stuff that goes on. And I think once people take time and go, look, I meant this, this, and this, you know, and really like working on the relationship. But in my father's generation, that really wasn't a thing. I realize now after his passing, like, he really did do the best. He and he did great, but he did the best he could with the tools that he had available. That's exactly right. Yeah, we, we, that, that's with everybody. I that's think. exactly yeah. right. We're all doing yep. the best we can according to our own model of the world. You know. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's dealing with it from their own circumstances and what they've gone through in their past experiences. And the best thing, Mike, is that you said that towards the end, you guys were getting along. You have those memories at the end to remember the video, et cetera. I think that that's important. I still have my father around. Both of you don't, so you know better than me. But I would think that having that ending like that, can you can go back to that. Right, so. absolutely. And um, my father died of respiratory illness. And, and I, I was with him the last few days like before I was able to get there before he died. So I was just – at the end of it, I'm, I'm in a room in hospice, and I'm just listening to, listening to him breathe. I'm listening to him breathe. Like there's nothing anybody can do. He's on oxygen. And I just sat with him for hours, like praying with him and just being with him and listening to him breathe. And it really comes like, it's like, this is what life comes down to all the, all the love, all the arguing, everything. It comes down to just breathing in a room over and breath after breath, after breath. In a, it really like 
simplifies everything down to a basic, basic level. Oh my God, you just you know? gave me chills. I have like the hair on my arms is standing up. I, it was beautiful. I actually just, I was just talking about this to John and Pat. We have friends who do another show under our umbrella, uh, John Viola and Petal Boyle, and we were just out to dinner last night. And I, I said the same thing to them. I don't know how it came up, but I was talking about how in the end, being with my father, you just realize like he was surrounded by children who loved him and a wife who loved him and friends who loved him and people who were heart sick, like heartbrokenly sick that he was leaving us. And I'm like, that's, that's what your life is about, right? Like not your job title, how much money you have. I mean, we say it all the time, but when you see it with your own eyes, that's really what matters. And it, all that life distills down to that moment. It deepens you in a way that's where, where you watch your father die. It sounds gruesome. It sounds terrible. People usually shy away from it. But you watch your father die, it, it deepens you because you're like, oh, then when some, something overwhelms me in my life, like I just go back to that time, I'm like, oh, let's keep it in perspective because it ends for all of us. Yeah, you survive that and it ends for all of us. It's true. That was a great conversation for all of us, but not in like a bad, <laughs> in like a in a very simple kind of way. Not not in the kind of a dark way that people usually associate with death, but just in a way where it's like it just is what it is. It's it's a cycle of life. It's all temporary. This too shall pass. All of our listeners thought this was going to be the funniest episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I'm a terrible comedian. <laughs> No, 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 no. But no, they're going to love, they're going to enjoy that. They're going to love that. I mean, this is what, this is what it's all about, but really getting back to the comedy for a second, Mike, because I do want to ask you something. I know you you were, I know you were on the tonight show, you know, watched it. I thought it was great. Really funny, but I'm interested in the whole experience for you. I mean, you, you came into this career after going through what you went through, like you explained the criminal background in terms of your degree. And then getting into education and teaching for five years, then getting into to comedy. And obviously you've made it in comedy, but I'm just wondering if you could take us back to the tonight show and kind of the whole experience and like what it meant for you to get to that point after all the different parts of your career. Could you tell us about that a little bit? First of all, Anthony, I appreciate you saying I'd made it in comedy, but you don't see where I live. So <laughs> if you'd see my apartment, you would be like, hey, you haven't made it yet at all. You would take it completely back. But okay. I appreciate your faith in me. <laughs> Mike, you've made it, obviously. So I was on Leno. I was on The Tonight Show with Leno. I was, I've actually been on The Tonight Show three times. And the first time I was on with Leno in 2010, and it was my first late night appearance. I'm out doing the warm up, you know, before the show. There's a certain process that you go through for any of these late night shows. You run your set a bunch of times and the guys who book the show work with you on the set. And the guys who work with me were great. But I was out before the show checking the spot and um, checking the sound and like running my set in my head. And uh, Leno comes up to me because he's doing his walkthrough and he starts talking to me and he He's basically saying, hey, don't worry about any of this. This is going to be a great audience for you. It's going to it's going to help you. You're going to knock it out of the park. Just filling me with like confidence and saying all kinds of positive, reassuring things at maybe one of the most nerve wracking times of my life. Of course. And he's talking to me and I'm asking him about comedy because I know he's a great stand up before he had the show. And we're talking just a nice back and forth. And he's saying the most comforting things ever, putting my mind totally at ease. And he walks back to the Tonight Show desk with me, and he goes, do you want to call your family? 
Wow. Do you want me to call them? I'm like, yeah, can you call my father? Oh, my god! So he gosh. picks up the phone, which I didn't even know worked. I thought it was a right, right. phone. Right, right. <laughs> he, he picks up the phone, asks for an out, outside line, and calls my house, calls my, my parents' house. My father picks up, and he has a 10-minute conversation with my father. Oh Get out of here. He offers my father's tickets to his show, and um, my father invites him to dinner. <laughs> of course he does. It's it was really unbelievable. That's so, an amazing story. That is wow. He was so sweet to me, and and it re- really was our Italian American roots. And of course, uh, yeah. and he was really laughing with my father on the phone for like ten minutes before I did the show. And uh, what a, what what a great moment! What a great moment to have. Okay, I'm going to ask you what your parents' response to your career choice was, and then circle back to that moment where I'm sure if they were not happy with your career choice, that was probably the moment your dad maybe could pat you on the back. It's actually surprising because my father was more supportive of stand-up comedy for me than for teaching. Interesting. He really wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor. And then when I decided on the teaching thing, I decided to try it to stand-up comedy. He was like, look, I'll support you. Like, don't even go to New York, go to LA go to LA and I think you should be in movies. You should be, Oh wow. You shouldn't even worry about going to New York. And I was like, wow. Like they were really, my mother was more like, well, how are you going to make money? How are you going to eat? My father was more like, yeah, just go out there and figure it out. Wow. That's great. Uh, Yeah. I didn't expect that. (laughs) They were both very supportive, but my father, even shockingly people get shocked when I tell them that, but yeah, they, he was like, when I got my master's, he's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? What's the plan? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, are you just going to teach? Is that is that where it ends for you? Like, not that that's mm. anything, but it's, where's greatness here? Yeah. So he thought there, he thought there was something more that was going to come. He was like waiting right. for it. He always, you know, it's funny. You know, you watch the Bronx tale when Robert De Niro was telling his, his son about wasted talent and about utilizing his potential yeah. and giving him these speeches. I mean, I my jaw dropped when I was in that movie. My jaw really dropped because my father would make the same speeches over and over and over. Like mm. you're crazy talented, but you have to work and you have to take, and, you, and not just work, but you have to take calculated risks in your life. Right. That's true. In order to make it happen. No one's going to give anything to you. He wanted you to do something big and teaching is terrific and we need teachers and we're blessed to have great teachers, but it's also a, a very structured path and it's, it's almost safe. And, and he was saying, do something big. You have that in you. Do something big. Be bold. Like, take chances. Like, take some chances in your life. Like, the law school path is what I wanted you to, where I wanted you to go, but you didn't want to do that. So it's like, now it's like you're going to have to take some risks. So that Leno um, call must have been even more special for oh him man. because of that. Because the, of that. Because he Leno call was, yeah, he couldn't stop talking about it. And, uh, <laughs> and I put out a CD. Uh, I put out a CD back in I think it's 2013. And he, this back when CDs were a thing, and he would. Uh, I, I gave it to them. And I, when I was doing it, I'm just trying to put it out and go on to the next thing. But I gave it to my parents, and they would play it all the time. They would play it all the time. I and love listen that. To it in the car, give it to their friends. It's oh. like I didn't realize that that would be a huge thing, you know, for them. But it was something. It's like a piece of me that they had at all times. Yeah. It's great That's that your great. dad got to see your success, you know, minus your apartment, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but still, I, I still think that the one the one thing that's interesting to me is that at 31 years old, you started, you know, doing the stand up. 
because you wanted to get into something different, try something different. But then it wasn't that long until you got on the Leno show. So you must have moved relatively quickly or you must have found I'm not that it was easy, but it must have come in some ways natural to you or something. That's quick, isn't it? Well, I got to say, I started at 28 going to open mics. So when I was working on my master's, I was so I spent three, three and a half years in Philly trying to develop some kind of an act. And then once I got it and I, I left teaching, I came here and I had a part time job for eight years here. I was about 10 years in when I got the Tonight Show, which is, I think, the normal, you know, they say 10,000 hours or right, um, right, right. 10 years yeah. of practice. So it, it was about the time where it's you have about 10,000 hours in. Yeah. Did you feel like when you started doing this that, you know, that it was for you? Like, did you have a feeling where you're like, yeah, this is this feels right to me like early on? Or did no, it I felt the opposite, actually. When, when I started doing it, I was started going to the open mics and I wasn't funny for a few years. Like I wasn't consistently funny for a few years. I came from a, um, a city club too. It was an urban club, a black club. And I was like, well, I'm not doing very well, but this is, it's, it, it feels good to do like some sort of public speaking, some sort of creativity. So it's helping me. It's helping me in some way. So I'm, I might not be a stand up comic at the end of this, but it's helping me in public speaking and I'm getting my master's. So maybe it'll help me somewhere along the line. So I just kept doing it. I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to keep doing this because it's, it's, it's going to benefit me. It feels like it's going to benefit me in some way, even though I'm not getting consistent laughs. But after about three, three and a half years, I did start getting consistent. I start, I got better and better at it. Then it wow. was like, okay, well, I had some friends who had already moved and they would come back to the club and be like, what are you waiting for? Like in New York, People are getting shows, people are work, people are pitching shows, people are getting on TV. Like, what are you doing here? You, you're now a guy who regularly works your hometown club. Good for you. Once you get to that spot where you're comfortable and things are going well, then you have to put yourself in another uncomfortable situation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah so that's when I decided to move. I mean, what possessed you to just say, I'm going to go and do stand up at night? I, it's, I'm a pretty confident person. I speak in public a lot but like stand-up comedy is like uh nerve-wracking to say the least i think it's something to do with individual sports like people who play individual sports it seems to be a theme with stand-up comics like i wrestled some people play tennis i I loved football i played football but it's a team sport but there's something about individual sports and how they relate to stand-up that is consistent through people that i talk to so maybe it was like the same preparation for wrestling that there in, in kind of a way like preparing and then, and then no one to blame, but yourself kind of a thing. I think that parallels to stand up. It tracks very well with stand up. So like a self competition, like a challenge, like a self challenge. Yeah. Like yeah. you cut weight, you train, you prepare, and then you go out and compete. And then you have to like kind of divorce yourself from emotion and evaluate your performance in the sense, I could do this better. I could do this better. I could do this better. I came from that kind of a background. So maybe it's just me wanting to repeat and me gravitating towards what feels comfortable. That makes sense. Yeah, for Not sure. the response I expected, but that makes sense. I think it has a lot to do with that. It's like a, it's a sport. It's just another sport. It's like a blood, it's like a different kind of blood sport. <laughs> yeah. It's brave. It's a sport in terms of like your mental preparation 
before you go. I can't tell you, like, especially with like a late night set. And I was in the last comic standing for two seasons also. And that's very like a high pressure. It's a high pressure situation. You know, you go out in any of these late night sets, five minutes and you're behind the curtain and they call your name and you go out and you know, you've had all the preparation. I'm in the clubs every night. I'm on the weekends working. So it's not like I'm out of my element, but still it's a high pressure situation. And there's a certain uh, mental focus that you have to have in order to prepare for that. Very nice. Uh, So I can't have an Italian American comic on the line and not ask you before we wrap up about Sebastian Menescalco. He's so big right now and he's kind of become the the resident Italian American I, I don't know. He kind of captures a lot of our experiences and he's kind of everywhere. So I don't know what thoughts you have. I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know him personally at all. I, I don't know him because I think he's in LA and then I mean he's on the road just selling out selling out everywhere everywhere that he performs. But I'm a fan. I'm a fan like everybody else. Like uh, I think he's great. And I think that for him to hone that, I mean, he's not an overnight success. He's a guy who the industry like didn't do him any favors. Like mm. he built it from the ground up and by the ground up, I mean, people would see him and they would go, I got to get my aunt. I got to get my sister. I got to get, right. he, they would just bring their families to see him. And that's how his, he didn't even do it on the internet. He did it, I mean, legitimately word of mouth. Like people Is that would, right? I think, mm. go and grab their... And I think it's very female-based His in terms of, like, he doesn't hurt that he's supremely talented, but a, a good, really good-looking. Sure. It doesn't hurt him either. Because women are really the driving factor in terms of, like, I got to get my sister. I got to get my sister's family. I got to get... I got to get my people out here to see him. And I think his crowds just grew and grew and grew and grew to the point where... He's a guy who deserves everything he's getting right now. All the success he really deserves because he's a guy who, like I said, like it wasn't an internet thing that blew him up. It wasn't industry people that gave him a show. He built it really, really from the ground up. So I I have a lot of admiration for that guy. I mean, case in point, 30 of us of my family are going to see him at Madison Square Garden in January. We have we have two rows yeah, guys, of so tickets. He's sold out the garden multiple times. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. It is yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm a good comic. I'm I'm a very good comic. But when I walk out of my shows and I do well, and I kill on the weekends wherever club I'm at, I kill. I do well. But I was just saying this to another comic. When when people walk out of his show, they walk out emotionally affected. Mm. Think about the emotions that have to happen for you to be like, I got to get my sister and her family and my cousins. I got to right. get them all. We're gonna. I'm gonna round everybody up. That's I'm gonna a good get point. A bus. We're gonna come here. It's like he's doing something very different than the rest of us. So I don't know about other people who go see them, but I think from the Italian American perspective, it's what you just said is totally on point and very interesting. Which is, it's it's almost as though it's about time someone is kind of mirroring our culture in that way back to us and back to the society at large in on such a grand scale. Right. Italians are a very hard group to get. It's a, it's a very hard group to get because it's like, maybe not for you because you're first generation, but most of us are like assimilated. So it's a very tough group to get. As time goes on, we're more and more assimilated. But like in conversations like this, there's these cultural things, these these small, what seem to be small cultural things that we can all 
that we can really get on board with that are pretty obvious exactly. if you talk to us. You know, when we talk to each other, it's pretty obvious. But they're not always on the surface. But just below the surface, if you get into a conversation, you start to see the connections very quickly. That's right. We do that in episode after episode, and we we totally agree with that. Well, which makes it harder also as a, as a comic because you don't have these – you're not having these deep conversations with people like we're having here on the podcast, right? So you got to kind of get right. people – in the couple of minutes that you have with them or whatever the situation that you have with them is, which is much different. But to, to that point, Mike, tell us about what you have going on now coming up. You have a new album out. You're going different places. Tell our audience about what's up, what's coming down the pike here. First of all, my album is called The Worst Kind of Thoughtful. It's um, <laughs> available on iTunes. I'm um, at Comic Mike V because my name is Vecchione, which for your listeners probably wouldn't be that difficult, but for most Americans, it's it's, it's a tough name. Mm. But um, online, I'm at Comic Mike V on Instagram and on Twitter. So at Comic Mike V. Also, I do something on um, Instagram where I do, uh, you know, these old joke books that everybody like no one uses anymore because they're sexist or racist. On my, I do a web series on my Instagram where it's just one minute long, but I'll have a person of certain ethnicity read a joke about their own ethnicity. Oh. And then I'll pay them. <laughs> I pay them in whatever ethnically, whatever stereotype. So if you're Irish, I'll have you do a joke about, the, you know, one of these joke book jokes about being Irish. And at the end, I'll pay you with a beer. Or if you're Italian, <laughs> the first thing I did with funny. my mother. She did a joke about being Italian. And then I was like, I gave her a meatball and she's like, that's what I paid her in meatballs. You know what I mean? So it's like just a short thing, one minute long, because I think all these joke book jokes are, are some of them are really funny and no one can use them anymore because of political correctness. And it's, it, right. but I figure if the person, if, it, if the person is reading their own joke, it's right. pretty funny. Yeah. If, if I can read a joke about being Italian and laugh at it, you know, maybe we can all right. lighten up a little. Yeah. Right. Lighten up. <laughs> so that comic might be, Again, my album is the worst kind of thoughtful. It's available on iTunes. Mm, so. Yeah, and we'll and we'll we'll link to Mike. It's MikeVecchione.com, and he's got his whole schedule on there. Yeah. It looks like you'll be in Princeton, St. Louis, Pennsylvania. Right. You know, all the way. His schedule's all the way up through April next year. So we'll make sure that you have that oh, information. Yeah. yeah, and I know our listeners. You know, encourage them to support. You know, our our fellow Italian American, and, and I'm sure after listening to this conversation, they're going to look you up and, and want to see what you're up to. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I hope they do. And also have a podcast called No Disrespect. And it's oh, on wow. the Gas Digital Network. It's all available on iTunes. No, the No Disrespect podcast. No Disrespect. So it's me and a, um, it's a, a, another a Jewish comic. So we go back and forth. <laughs> oh, that's great. That sounds that sounds really funny. Well, Mike, listen, thanks for spending time with us. The conversation, I think, went to places that we might not have anticipated being that, you know, it got really deep, which is awesome. Cause these are the topics that our listeners really care about family, right. um, you know, life, re- those kind of relationships. Right. And I know, I know for sure Dolores was, and, you know, loving and is into that. <laughs> Made some great comments. I think that's now a we, compliment. Now we get the laugh, we get the laugh too, which is, which is a bonus. No, but just thanks, Mike. We know you're busy and you have made it, whether you agree to that or not in some way. And, <laughs> We appreciate you spending some time with us. No, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I, I, again, I didn't expect the conversations to go in this direction either, but when you're talking about family and stuff, you get wrapped up and uh, you talk about the good things. And then there's some tough times too also, but it's all part of like being a family. And I think that's, 
you know, part of our shared experience as Italian-Americans. So thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our discussion with Mike. Great guy. Just a reminder that you can also subscribe to our newsletter if you go to ItalianAmericanExperience.com. Just click the Join button towards the top of the website, and you could subscribe, which means every time we publish a new episode, we will email you so you know it's out, you know it's available, and you can listen. And from time to time, if other things are going on, we will email you as well. All right, now I'm going to kick it over to Dolores to take us out. And to do my favorite thing, which is read an iTunes review. That's right. So we are so excited. You guys keep leaving us beautiful five stars and five star reviews. And we read them and we just love, love, love hearing from you. And um, every time you leave a review, it just helps to get the word out about the show. So we're very grateful. Today, um, read one by Tony Noto. Five stars. This podcast is so illuminating. Tony writes, since I've discovered this podcast, which I listen to an episode every day, episode number 14 illuminated my being so clearly. You explain why I am the way I am. What a relief. That's it. I'm Italian. Third generation Italian. (laughs) (laughs) This episode talked about respect at every level. Respect for how one dresses, the dignity of dressing every day, to the market, to the airport, or anywhere. We present ourselves with the dignity of who we are. We receive respect because we do it quietly. We take care of our homes. We take care of one another. And we sweep the walkways and all the concrete we have around our homes. That's Bella Figura, right, Anthony? Yeah. We talk about that a lot. Yeah, we talked about that in... I don't know if this is the exact episode he's referring to, but we talked about it with Dr. Rosa and John way back then. Oh, yeah, we sure did. It might be. Remember 14, yeah, yeah, but it comes up now and again. It was, it was, I remember he told, Dr. Rosa told us that he sent it to his kids and they listened to it and they were crying. Oh, it's a great episode. We'll have to link to that in the show notes. Okay, and he wraps up saying, thank you for your dedication and brilliance in bringing all Italian Americans back into the fold. I'm home now. I found my people. Mille grazie, Tony Noto. Wonderful. Grazie. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, Michi, please keep the reviews coming. We love them. They give us the energy we need to keep putting this show out. To wrap up, find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find us by just visiting those platforms and searching Italian American Podcast. Arrivederci. This is episode 76, where we'll be speaking with stand-up comedian Mike Vecchione, who has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon on Comedy Central and more. Hello? Okay, I'm sorry. This is episode 76, where we'll be speaking with stand-up comedian Mike Vecchione, who has appeared on the Tonight... (laughs) Why are you laughing? Did you hear that? I dropped, like, my phone and everything else off my couch.